Well, we do actually have a guest speaker today, and his name is uh, Pastor Josue Ara- Araujo, I think. And he is the associate pastor at St. James United Methodist Church. But he's not quite here yet. I saw the door open. I thought that might be him. And this, he is here. He is here. You were saved from a mass round of hokey pokey that we were going to do. Put your right hand in and we don't have to do that now. So let, let me introduce our guest speaker today. So Josue is originally from Salvador, Brazil, and he was raised in a Christian home and in the church where his grandfather was the pastor. Josue has lived in the United States for the last 16 years. Josue is ordained in the United Methodist Church and was appointed to St. James Church in 2008 after graduating with his Master of Divinity from Asbury Theological Seminary. It was in seminary that Josue met his wife, Laura. They have been married for 10 years, and they are great partners in ministry. They have two daughters, Natalie and Gabriela. Josue's biggest passions for ministry are evangelism and discipleship. He believes that his role as a pastor is to help others discover the saving love of Christ and disciple them into Christ-like character, biblical education, and a spirit-filled life. Josue's life verse is Luke 9.23. If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So I'd like to introduce Josue. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Good morning, church. Uh, first of all, I'm impressed that you know how to say my name. Jo- uh, Josue is the... Uh, if you'll let me say it, the, the white version of it, okay? Uh, <clears throat> the Josué is the right pronunciation in Portuguese. As you heard, I am from Brazil. And also I heard that I have to update my bio uh, and my picture uh, on, uh, on the church website because that's where you got this information from. Uh, so I am glad uh, to be here with you. Uh, sorry for being a little late. We, well, I guess, a lot late. Uh, I, I am the preacher of the 9:45 service at St. James uh, United Methodist Church, just six miles down 111th uh, from here. So I got off the pulpit uh, literally seven minutes ago, uh, finishing the sermon, and how, here I am in the pulpit again. Okay. Uh, oh, praise God! Praise God! Yeah. If there is one thing that I enjoy uh, to do in ministry is to preach. So I was delighted to be asked, even though uh, every time Pastor Chris calls me, I tell him no. Uh, this time he persisted longer. Uh, so I had to, after a little twist, and I had to say yes. But I have a picture uh, of, uh, of the sermon that I'm going to be preaching today. And also the first picture there is my family. Uh, they couldn't be here with me today, but I wanted to uh, introduce you to Laura, my wife, and my two girls Natalie and Gabby, uh, that is, if you're familiar with our St. James uh, grounds, we have a bridge and a little pond uh, and a fountain there. You're welcome to come by anytime uh, and enjoy that. A lot of people take their prom pictures or wedding pictures there as well. That's totally fine with us. But that was our Easter picture uh, just a few months ago. Uh, so we, we, uh, we love St. James. We're glad to, uh, to have been there now for nine years. Uh, since uh, 2008, 
Uh, we've been there uh, and enjoyed being there. This is start, the start of my 10th year uh, at St. James. So uh, love the church. Uh, seems like the St. James and Abiding Harvest have some of the same type of personalities, uh, very evangelistic driven, uh, very much, you know, discipleship driven, uh, community driven, mission driven. So I fit right in here as well. I feel right at home. If it's okay with you, I'm not really a big guy to get behind the pulpit and preach from there. Is it okay if I preach from right over here? Is that okay with you? Okay. Great. I always have to ask permission first, and if you did not grant permission, I would move there and just be uncomfortable the whole time, which is okay, <laughs> which, which would be okay, but I'm, I'm glad to be here with you today. If you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to please turn it to the book of Habakkuk, uh, all the way, if you, go, if you don't know where Habakkuk is, you can go to the first book of the New Testament, Matthew, and then scroll back a few pages and you'll find Habakkuk there as one of the minor prophets uh, of the Old Testament. Uh, in the 945 service at St. James where I preach, we are in the midst of this series on Habakkuk called Asking Hard Questions. Okay, and I usually have a clicker to go with me. My clicker is in the sound booth. The, what's your name? David? My clicker's name today is David, Okay. <laughs> And David and I are going to just have to sink the whole time, okay? And if I give David a dirty look, it's not for you, it's for him, okay? So he knows that it's the next time to click, the next uh, slide there. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll manage this together. I may have to be looking back a little bit there. But the name Habakkuk, can you say Habakkuk? Habakkuk. The name Habakkuk means to wrestle, okay? Now if you're from the south, you say that a little bit different, right? Is there any people from the south here? How do you say that? Yeah, I'm not even going to attempt that, okay? I'm still trying to learn how to speak English. Uh, so, uh, southern twang is not really my cup of tea. So, anyways, I don't know. I haven't figured that one out. But it sounds like a wrestle or whatever, okay? I'll just let you guys do it, okay? But Habakkuk in the original Hebrew means to wrestle. And that's exactly what we see Habakkuk doing with God in this short three-chapter book in the Old Testament. He is a minor prophet. Uh, there's not much that we know about Habakkuk. As a matter of fact, what we see here is all that we know. You know, usually in the Old Testament or even in the New Testament, we have, you know, someone, they introduce somebody and they say, son of so-and-so, right? Uh, but Habakkuk, there's no, he's not the child of anyone that we know of here. Uh, he is a minor prophet. We know that he has a role in the people of Israel, uh, who he was a prophet for that people. That means that he spoke for God. In other words, God would speak to him and he would then speak that message to the people of God uh, and they would comply with or go against it. And apparently what is going on here in this section uh, of time in the people of, of Israel is that they're not really living a life in accordance to what God expected of them. And Habakkuk is really frustrated. He's frustrated at the fact that his own people are turning their backs against what God expects of them. They are worshiping other gods. They're not following the law that they, like they were supposed to. They're not uh, making God the only God. They're worshiping other gods as well. Okay? It's like, you know, sometimes when, you, when you're sick. Uh, I've seen a Facebook post recently of a Christian. A Methodist, by the way. 
And she was asking prayers for uh, uh, her daughter who was sick. And she says, all prayers, meditations, thoughts are welcomed for my little baby girl. Or in other words, whoever you pray to, pray to them so that my baby girl can be healed. Okay? There's a problem with that. Amen? And Habakkuk is seeing this, and he's really upset. He's not happy at all about it. Let's just read the first few verses of chapter 1 here, and then we'll jump into 12 through 2-1, which is where we're going to focus on today. Habakkuk is wrestling with God. In verse 2 here, he says, How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save. How do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. So Habakkuk is going to God and say, God, why do you let me, why do you let me see this? How do you, how do you, how do you even tolerate this? The, the, the righteous have become unrighteous. The unrighteous people has got a leg up on the righteous people. It just, it, this is a mess. And the first thing that I think that we can learn from the book of Habakkuk, a man who is known for wrestling with God, is that it is okay to come to God with your questions. It is okay to tell God, I don't understand. I don't get it. As a matter of fact, I believe that our relationship with God has to be the kind that we don't have to put a face or a mask, but we can come to Him just as we are, alright? And then when we come to Him just as we are, we don't have to, oh, we're going to talk to God now, so please fold your hands, put on your suit, do this and that, so that we can, God will only listen to your prayers if you only talk to Him this way. That is incorrect. Okay, I believe that Habakkuk is a perfect example of someone who comes just the way he is without knowing much, without fully understanding what's going on, crying out for help, saying, God, I have done everything you've asked me to do. I have followed all the things that you've told me to tell the people, and still sin abounds. Still, things are not the way that you have asked to be. They're, they're not the way that you expect them to be. So I believe that it is okay. Can you say, it's okay? It's okay for us to come to God just the way we are. Messy, broken, just like we are. And I hope that our relationship, you know, do you have a friend like that? That no matter how you come, they're going to love you no matter what. That you don't have to look a certain way, wear a certain brand, put on the right technology so that you can impress them. You can just be who you are and they're going to love you, accept you, welcome you just how you are. That's what I believe Habakkuk is preaching just by example. Why did this book make it? We know nothing about this guy. All we know is that he wrestles with God and I think... God is telling us, it's okay to come to me with your questions. But here's, here's what is going on as well. God answers Habakkuk. Ah, he actually answers him, right? And, but, but, you know, we, we see Habakkuk here. He's asked God so many times the same thing to the point that he's asking God, do you even listen to my prayers? Have you ever been there? 
Is there someone out there? We begin to question, does God listen to our prayers? Does God care about what I'm asking? We may even move to the point is, is God even there? Is there a God? But all of a sudden, perhaps even when we were not expecting, God answers it. But listen, just like with Habakkuk, you may not actually like what God had to say. Okay, so let's read here. Okay, let's read verse 5. Verse 5 says, Look at the nations... By the way, this is God telling Habakkuk. Look at the nations and watch, and be utterly amazed. For I am going to do something in your days that you will not believe, even if you were told. Let's push pause there, right there. Okay, one year I was invited to this youth retreat, uh, to be the preacher of the youth retreat. And uh, they sent me this verse, Habakkuk 1.5, that was going to be the theme verse of the, of the, of the retreat. Let's, let me read it again. Look at the nations and watch, and be utterly amazed. For I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even if you were told. Right? And I called the people back and I said, listen, are you sure? They're like, yeah. We want these kids to know that God is going to do something that even if they were to think about, they couldn't ever fathom. God is going to do something amazing. God is going to do something phenomenal. I said, did you bother to read what the verse was about? I have a preacher, I have a professor in seminary that he said, a text without a context is just a pretext for whatever you want it to mean. What does that mean? That a text without the actual context of the Bible can mean anything to anyone. And I said, listen, uh, youth pastor who called me about me coming to preach at your youth retreat. Let me tell you what, what God is doing in Habakkuk's time. Let's read. I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people, who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwelling places not their own. They are a feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves and promote their own honor. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cavalry gallops headlong. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like a vulture swooping to devour. They will come on bent, on bent violence and bent on violence. I said, do you understand, youth pastor, that what God is telling Habakkuk is that he's bringing up this group of people called the Babylonians and he's making a great army out of them to come and bring judgment and punishment upon God's people? He's like, oh. Uh, I think we need to pick a new verse. (laughs) And I said, you know, it's up to you. If you want me to preach the truth of Scripture, I'll preach the truth of Scripture. But don't ask me to make up sermons based on this verse that you picked out of Google for your good retreat. Because I, I will preach what Habakkuk is about. And the kids may not like your retreat. You know, he went on and read the rest of Habakkuk. And he says, go for it. We just decided that's going to be our theme verse. And whatever the Bible says, we'll be ready for it. I said, that's, that's what I wanted to hear. So, you know, that 
took a whole different turn of event and it was a great retreat, but I did not shy away from God being a father who is like a good father who when it's time to punish children, the children are punished. I don't know about you, but you know, I was punished when I was a child. You know, timeouts in my day uh, is just when you get knocked out of conscience, okay? Uh, <laughs> right? Can I get an amen on that one? Yeah. That's when timeouts happen. When you got knocked out of conscience, you're on timeout, okay? But most of the time, I mean, you know, you get a spanking for this or a belt for that or my mom uses her hairbrush every once in a while too, you know. Uh, anyways, whatever they could find of little Josue was, was anyways, uh, hard to deal with, okay? But that's the law, and it's never easy, right? If you're a parent, you know, you don't, you don't take joy in, in bringing discipline to your child. So I'm sure that just as Habakkuk was heartbroken about the situation going on, I'm sure God was heartbroken. God was not only heartbroken that His people had turned to sin, turned to other gods, were not listening to Him or obeying His commands, but I am certain that God was heartbroken that He was going to actually have to punish them. So they can get back in line. So that they can finally remember who he is and who they are. Let's fast forward to verses 12 through 2-1. Your Bible may read saying Habakkuk's second complaint. And here's what's going on. Habakkuk doesn't like what God had to say. Okay? So let's read there. O Lord, are you not from everlasting... My God, my Holy One, we will not die. O Lord, you have appointed them to execute judgment. O Rock, you have ordained them to punish. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You, to, you cannot tolerate wrong. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up the more righteous than themselves? You have made them like fish in the sea, like sea creatures that have no ruler. The wicked foe pulls all of them up with hooks. He catches them in his net. He gathers them in his dragnet. And so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore he sacrifices to his net and burns incense to his dragnet. For by his net he lives in luxury and enjoys the choicest food. Is he to keep on emptying his net, destroying nations without mercy? Now, verse 1 of 2. I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give. I'm sorry. I am to give to this complaint. So, I don't know if it's already... Okay, God, I disagree. In other words, God, I don't think you understand that uh, your plan is not a good one. What you have in mind for the punishment to your people is definitely not what I had in mind. And the title of the sermon, I don't know if you caught it or not, is, is God cannot be boxed. What does that mean? You see what Habakkuk is saying here? In my box, 
where I have placed God. This godly answer doesn't fit there. So God, you must have drank some bad coffee or sour milk or something because this is not the God who I think you are. And if one thing we can learn from the book of Habakkuk, I said, first of all, that it is okay for us to bring our questions just the way we are to Him. Today, what we would like to learn is that it is okay for us to argue with God. But we must understand our position. We must understand our position when we argue with Him. There are three verses that I'd like to point out to you. There is Psalm 39, Psalm 103, and also James 4, 14. So we'll go through those, and I'm going to have to look back, because I, uh, at St. James, I have a screen that is over there when I'm preaching, so I can read over there, okay? Is there a cheat one up here too? Hey, maybe I have to come up to the pulpit after all. <laughs> do you have that verse, that's, uh, the slide that says, uh, okay, let's, let's do that. Is it okay? Okay, I'll be up here now so I can, I can cheat and, and see what my PowerPoint actually says. Is that okay with you? Okay. You know, there, there are three things that usually happen with us when we disagree with God. The first one, Habakkuk's example, is that we argue with him. Like I said, it's okay to argue with him, but we must first learn our position. The second thing that might happen with us when we disagree with God is we may run away, we may flee from him, Right? The story of Jonah. Most of us are aware of what's going on with Jonah. Uh, usually a, a, a story for children, which is almost like a horrific story for children. You know, it's just like Noah's Ark too. It's like, everybody's going to die. <laughs> but get in the boat quickly, you know. Uh, happy children's moment. Uh, anyways, Jonah, Jonah is the same thing, okay. Flee from God, God, I don't agree that I should go to Nineveh. Guess what? I'm running away. And the last one is Sarah and Abraham. I don't agree with you, God, so I'm going to take care of things my own way. You're taking too long to give me your promises. So let's try to take care of things ourselves. Oh, I, I, I know that some of you have been there. You have a new building, right? Right? You know, maybe some of you are like, God, this is taking too long. What can I do to make this hurry up? Right? I mean, sometimes we want to take the place of God instead of allowing God to be God. And Habakkuk is looking at God today and saying, I disagree. Let me give you a better strategy. Okay, so the next slide, I hope it says that it is okay to argue with God, but we must understand our position. Go to the next slide. Because understanding our position will do this, okay? Uh, we will know that we are simply uh, made like a mere hand breath. Hold, hold, your, hold your hand up real quick. Okay, look at your hand, look at it now. Uh, uh, back in those days, a hand breath was actually a measuring tool, right? You, how long is this pulpit? And you can actually measure it by the hand breath. Oh, this is five and a half hand breaths. So now a person knows, right, that it's, that's the way to measure. 
But also in those times, a hand breath was also a way for you to say a second. Like a time, a second of time. So, it was a metaphor for the word second. So if you go back to the Bible understanding, you have made my days a mere, what? Second. The span of my ears is as nothing before you. Everyone is but a breath, even those who seem secure like Habakkuk does. The next verse is in Psalm 103. Verses 15 through 16 says, The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower with, of the field. The wind blows over it and it is gone and its place remembers it no more. Now I know that Dr. Buskirk is here. He probably remembers very vividly who Paul Leeming is. Dr. Leeming was the person, the, the pastor who was asked to come and take over St. James when St. James was just a, a, a young church, still kind of young, only 32 years old, uh, the, the church is, 34 actually years old, uh, and, and Paul Lehman was the pastor of St. James for 15 years. And not very long ago, past Paul, Leeming, uh, Paul Lehman's wife, Juanita, passed away. And Pastor Gary and I, Gary Harbour is the senior pastor at St. James, we decided, oh, we need to contact the district superintendent and let them know that, you know, one of the elders, pastor, uh, you know, the elders of the church, his wife, has passed away. So we wrote an email to the district superintendent saying, hi, I thought you should know that Pastor Paul Leeming's wife, Juanita, has passed away. The email came back saying, who is Paul Leeming? And at first we were a little offended, right? Because this is St. James. He was like the founding pastor. It's almost like Pastor Chris. Okay? And, and, and generation or two later, they didn't even remember who Paul Leeming was. And we had to go right back and say, oh, he was the pastor of this church for 15 years. And he, you know, has retired and moved to Colorado and... and all this and, and, and that. And oh, okay. And then an email went out to the entire, you know, district saying, let's keep Pastor Paul Lehman in prayer. You know, uh, which was supposed, that was supposed to be the initial response that we were expecting. And this could have offended me, but mostly it put me in my place. And I think it should put you in yours. Because what, what David, the psalmist here is saying is that uh, the life of mortals is like grass that flourishes in, in, uh, of the field and the wind blows over it and it is gone. And listen to that, and its place remembers it no more. So our lives are like grass that sprouts up from the ground, sprouts up from the ground. And then after it's gone, right? We mow every week pretty much, right? After it's gone, the ground doesn't even remember that it was ever there. It's okay to argue with God. But we must know our position in the argument. How many of you have a wife? You know that every argument you're going to lose? You have to know your position, right? You know your position when you argue with your wife. Every single time you're going to lose the argument, she has to win this argument, right? And when she's happy, the whole family is happy. So we need to understand our position. I'm married. I got a wife too. I'm with you. I know your pain. 
Okay, just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. I know, I know your joys and your pains and, and everything anyways, but we know, but the same thing about our children, right? When, how many times have you just said, because I said so? In other words, I need you to remember your position, child. I'm your parent, you're my child. God is saying here, when you come to me, Habakkuk, to argue, remember your position. Your life is like grass on this earth. You are built, you live, but as soon as you're cut off, not even the ground will remember. Now, God is not saying that you are nothing. I will rem- God will remember. You know, how much do we need to impress people when a generation later, they won't even remember who you are. And we spend so much time impressing others when they won't even remember who we are. When the next shiny thing shows up, the thought of you is gone. God is the one that we must live to please, not men. The next one is James 4.14 and it says this, Why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow? You know, God is telling the people that, Oh, I'm going to go to this town and that town and, and do business there for a year or whatever. And God is like, Why do you say that? You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist. A mist. Or maybe some of you, uh, some of your Bible says you are a vapor. That appears for a little while and then vanishes. I want to tell you this morning that God has made you awesome. Is that the next slide there? No? Go ahead and go to the God has made you awesome. Yeah. Can you, can you turn to your neighbor and say, you are awesome? Some of you are like, please, I don't want to tell this to this person sitting next to me right now. They already have a big head. Okay, the pastor said I'd do it, so I'll do it. All right, here we go. You're awesome, right? The next one, you're going to enjoy saying it more. The next one says, but you are limited. We must remember our position. God does think that you are indeed awesome. It wasn't supposed to be a joke. You are amazing. The things you do, the things that we create, right? The capabilities that we have. You are awesome. But you are limited. So when, when Habakkuk stands before God to argue with him, he must know his position and and if you go back to the screen before this one it talks about how uh, what happens when we don't understand our position okay when we don't understand our position before God when we don't understand that our we are limited we have this thing about us that we think that we are indeed little G gods we have this desire to to tell God how to do his God things We exalt ourselves 
higher than we are supposed to exalt ourselves. We also exalt these superhumans. Right? Pastors, preachers, we exalt them. When God says, look at Paul Leeming. Amazing man, evangelistic man. Brought up St. James to be what it is. And now, the Methodist church doesn't even remember who he is. God remembers what he did. God counted all the lives that were saved because of his ministry. That's what matters. But where is your priority when you live your life and when you try to impress? When we look at these superhumans in the world, I mean, it's football season finally, right? Man, no, no football fans here? Wow. Anyways, okay, I've got one. Praise the Lord. All right. Football season is, but I want you to look at the, comment, the commentators when they're introducing a new rookie to the field. Oh, this kid is amazing. He's, he comes from such and such school. He is like six foot seven, 285 pounds, nothing but muscle, right? Has a perfect record in college or whatever it is, you know. And he's got, then the, the words come, he's got l- limitless potential. Like, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah, the kid is great. The kid is awesome. But do you think he can run 117 miles down the field? No, I don't, I don't believe so. He does not have limitless potential. He has limited potential. So when we need to start not bringing so much praise to these little superhumans. We need to give praise to where praise is due. Give credit to where credit is due. I have a, a, a member of our church that every time I preach, Richard Irons his name, he struggles with how to compliment me afterwards. Because he wants to say, hey, good job. That was a great sermon, whatever. But I, he's got his mind so right about this. That he's stuttering to say, I'm proud of how God used you. You were, you were a vessel in his hand today. You were an instrument in his toolbox. However Richard says it, I notice that he's very careful not to say, Pastor, that was some good message right there. You're getting better as a preacher. Or whatever. He, no, he, he always tries to give credit to where credit is due. And I think that's how we, as his people, need to be. That's how Habakkuk, Habakkuk doesn't like what God has to say. So he says, hey God, uh, uh, just a second here. I actually think I have a better plan than you. How much do we do that with our own issues of life? God, let me tell you how you should deal with my children because I'm the one that got to raise them. Let me tell you how you should bless my business. Let me tell you how you should take care of this problem that we have at the church or at the house. Or let me tell you how to take care of my financial crisis. And God is saying, know your position. I'm the one who placed the stars where they are. I'm the one who created the rivers to flow where they flow. I'm the one that told the wave how far she could go. 
I am God. You are not. If you keep reading Habakkuk, he's going to know. You know, he comes ready to talk to God and God comes ready to talk to him. And it's going to end up in Habakkuk simply praising and glorifying God. Let's skip the two, okay, the one that we already got. You're awesome, but you're limited. And then the next one says what? Yeah. God made you awesome, but he did not make you God. Let's look at Job chapter 38 real quick. Last night as I was putting my PowerPoint together, I was reading Job and I started laughing. My wife's like, why are you laughing over there? Job is a horrible story, right? This guy that the devil gets permission from God to torment his life. You know, literally, if you don't know that the devil is actually going to God to ask him permission to torment your life, you need to understand that he's doing that. There's going to be a time that he's going to not be permitted to do that anymore. But right now, he's still approaching heaven's throne trying to ask permission to torment your life. And he, Job is an example of that. And his life pretty much gets destroyed. His whole family dies. His whole, like, uh, his whole farm gets destroyed. His animals die. Everything. God says, you can touch everything but his life. Don't, don't kill him. Well, Job, before he says God gives and takes away, blessed be his name, he has some arguments with God just like Habakkuk does. But look at how God responds. That's why I was laughing last night. Did you read this already? Look at how God responds. He says, Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. He said, Who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. Oh, Job, get ready. Right? Job's like, Hey God, I don't agree. What's going on? Why are you letting all these things happen to me? Have you ever done that before? I don't agree with your plan. I don't, I don't agree with what's happening. And, and God is like, hey, Job, uh, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you understand. You hear that? God, that's why I started laughing. It's like God's like, hey, you dress like a man to come after me? To tell me that you disagree? To tell me that you understand better? To tell me that your plan is better than mine? Well, hold on, Job. Where were you when I laid the foundation? Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On, on what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone? Job, you're so smart. You know better than I do. Why don't you answer these questions, Job? Go to the next one. Who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb? When I made the clouds its garments and wrapped it in thick darkness, when I fixed limits for it and set its doors and bars in place, when I said, this far you may come and no further, where is, here is where uh, your, your proud waves halt. Have you ever given orders to the morning? Oh. Or shown the dawn its place? By the way, this goes on for four chapters. 
In the middle of it, Job is like, forget it. I am sorry that I ever opened my mouth. You are right. And God is like, oh, no, you're going to listen. Seriously, he goes on for four chapters. He goes on to say, how many goats have been born in the last second? Why do the hawks have really good eyes that they can fly up in the sky and see their prey down below? I mean, God just dresses him, dresses him down. He came dressed to fight, and God dressed him down completely, putting in his place. The next one, I have a picture of a butterfly in the D- Detroit Zoo. Well, my family and I just arrived yesterday at 6 a.m. from vacation in Michigan, okay? And one of the things we did, you know, you have little kids who got to go to the zoo, right? And we have like a, a butterfly sanctuary there. And the biggest butterfly was this one that you cannot see the wing very much. Is, is that right? Wing? Do butterflies have wings? Is that, is that a technical term that I'm missing here? Okay, wings. All right. You see the blue there in the middle? It's like one of her wings is a little clipped and you can see what the other wing looks like. So you can imagine that when she opens up, it's a beautiful blue, right, with the designs there. And we saw her flying around and then she landed right on this leaf. And everybody was like, whoa, beautiful butterfly. She was the biggest of them all there. And everybody has their iPhones or whatever device that they have on their pocket. And everybody's like waiting. She lands on this leaf and they wait. And we were waiting and waiting and waiting. And eventually Josue here, a funny guy, says, man, my arm hurts. You know, because I'm, you know, my, waiting for her, like, hold it still. And then, finally, one, including me, begins to drop out and leaves. And as I was reflecting on that later, I said, you know what? That butterfly will only open her wings when God says, open. And we would have sat there like fools trying to blow it, shake a leaf around it, do a jumping jacks in front of it to see if it will move. But that butterfly knows her position and she moves when God says, move, open. No matter how much we wanted her wing to open so we can snap a picture and share with our friends, God was giving us perception, perspective on who we are and who He is. The next slide, please. God made you awesome, but He did not make you God. Next slide, please. The thing is, every time that we try to place our hopes in fixing it, Whatever the it might be. When we depend on our own intellect, on our own strength, on our own resources, right? Because we believe that we are little G-gods and we live in America where everything is just limitless. You can have as much of whatever you want, anytime you want it, and snap your finger and you can have it now, right? Every time that we decide to focus on our own strength, our own intellect, we will end up failing or with an unsatisfactory result. 
I gave you the information about Jonah. Didn't work out so well for him. I gave you the information about Sarah and Abraham. They ended up with Ishmael. Who has now become, unfortunately, an enemy to the Christian faith. Didn't work out so well for Job. When he tried to shake his fist at God and say, Why? What are you doing? I don't like what you're doing. I have a better plan than yours. I think that once we know our place, we will know who to run to when we find our limitations. The next slide will give us something like that. One of, that's it. One of our greatest joys, I hope, for you, that one of your greatest joys in your life is to know that we can't. Can you say, I can't? When we know that we can't fix it. Whatever it is that you are struggling with, whether it's a, a relationship issue, whether it's a financial issue, whether it's a, a, a job, a career issue, whatever it might be that you're struggling with, that you're trying really hard to fix it. Whatever you decide, I can't. Even if the problem is, you, I cannot fix me. Go to a library. What is the biggest section in the library? It is a what? Self-help books. Well, if that self-help book is not based on biblical principles that are going to walk you through how God is going to fix you, don't buy it. Because the greatest thing that self-help books or unchristian, un-God-fearing psychologists can do is just giving some coping mechanisms for life. But not fix it. Only God can do that. And there's so much joy to be found when we find ourselves in the, in, in, in the knowledge that I can't do it. Remember John 4, the Samaritan woman or the woman at the well, however you call her. Jesus meets with her and says, go get your husband. Why would Jesus do that? Right? Because Jesus is trying to get to the core of who she is. Oh, I don't have a husband. That's right. You don't have a husband. You have been married five times and the man that you're living with now is not your husband. Whoa. Dress her down too. Right? You have been looking for purpose, for healing, for fulfillment, for satisfaction, for life in all the wrong places from relationship to relationship and you have not found it. Guess what? Come to me. Come to my well. Drink from my cup. Because if you do, you will never be thirsty again. You can't help it. Other superhumans cannot fix it. I can fix it. May your greatest joy be found when you realize you can't, but He can. So we finish the sermon with this prayer, Lord, I need you. There's probably no greater prayer you could ever pray than, Lord, I need you. Because that prayer 
is a prayer that says, I know my place. And I know your place. Go ahead and click again. It says, I, ho- I know that I am weak, but you are strong. I know that I am limited, but you are unstoppable. I know that I don't know, but I know that you understand. I know that I am not, but I know that you are the great I am. I know that I cannot, Lord, but I know that you can. Lord, I need you. I hope that as you move into maybe reading on your own the rest of Habakkuk, you will see that Habakkuk will end up, the the whole chapter 3 is a song of worship. So Habakkuk moves from worried, concerned, upset, disagreeing, frustrated, does God even exist? Do you listen to my prayers? To worshiping God. Because he found himself at this place. Lord, I need you. Lord, I will trust you. Lord, I can't fix it. I've been trying to. But now that I'm before you, all I have to do is trust. Lord, I need you. And you wrote a song about it. And the song will say, even when all the fruit is gone from the grapevines, even when all the cattle are gone from the yard, even when there is no nutrition or shelter, we will worship you. For you are our God. And we are your people. And that sometimes, if not always, should be enough. To know that we are His and He is ours. Amen? So we're going to have a final song and also we're going to do communion together. Is that, is that been prepared? I don't know where the elements are. Okay, there you go. Excuse me. I don't believe there is a greater meal that represents the sermon than this meal that was not prepared by a body in harvest. It was not prepared by the United Methodist Church. This meal that was set apart by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ Himself. A meal that when we come to respond to His invitation to remember Him, we really do say, Lord, I need You. I cannot save me. I cannot save myself. I cannot forgive my own sins. And today, perhaps more than any other day, I need a Savior yet again. So as you come to respond to the invitation to remember Him. I pray that you will come giving Him thanks. For He did something you could not do on your own. I pray that you come with great expectation. Because He has great expectations. Jesus said that He will not eat of this meal again until He is with us in heaven. So as you partake of the broken body of our Lord and Savior.
and of the shed cup blood of the new covenant. Give him thanks. Tell him you need him and look forward to eating this meal, probably a better meal than Hawaiian bread and Welch's grape juice that he will have for us in the heavenly banquet. Are you looking forward to it? Soon and very soon. We are going to see the King. Amen. So let's pray together. Pour out your Holy Spirit, O Lord, on all of us gathered here. Pour out your Holy Spirit on these gifts of bread and juice. May they be for us, as you have spoken, Christ's body and Christ's blood. And as we respond to your invitation to take of the broken body and drink of the shed cup, O Lord, we also ask that you would make us a church that is alive, a church that is bold in our witness, and a people that, is, that are not ashamed, but we are proclaiming and declaring to others the same gospel that has once saved us. So we come to this table hoping to experience everything you had in mind when you said, do this in remembrance of me. And we look forward to the day that we get to eat of this meal with you in heaven. What a glorious day that will be. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. 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 Terry, would you help me learn what's the next step? Do we serve the servers first? Or... Okay. Three different stations? Okay, perfect. Excuse me.